Chapter Thirteen of the Last of the Vikings by Johann Boyer, translated by Jesse Muir. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Thirteen. They came so suddenly, and it is just the weather one would wish to have when the incoming is at its height. The west fjord lies under a heavy swell, crisped by a light breeze and sprinkled over for miles along the banks with a multitude of black dots, the boats. In the air above hover clouds of white gulls, and loons and cormorants fly shrieking hither and thither. There is a stir in the sea, and yet not a wave disturbs its calm. The line fishermen are pulling up caught on every hook, and the cheats keep on hauling in big lively fish. The nets are heavy to-day, and the men have to pull hard, the grey stream coming in over the roller is bristling with fish. Now and then one drops off and lies floating belly upward, and the headman nearly falls head first into the water in his efforts to take it up with a gaff. They will be out a long time to-day, for the nets must be quite cleared of fish, so that they can be put out again. Oh-ho! Oh-ho! It became difficult for Arndt and Lars to keep the boat steady, as it sank deeper and deeper in the water, with its ever-increasing load. The stern compartment and midships were already full, and it began to be full everywhere, and there were still several nets to come in. Pull away! Oh-ho! What did it matter that the day was passing without their having had a bite of food? Wonderful things were happening. Which of them noticed that it was beginning to grow dusk? The men were in a perspiration, and that they were accustomed to, but the rest was something new. They looked at one another and laughed, and then went on pulling. At last the Lesu's Hilla could no longer contain himself, and began crowing like a cock. It was infectious, and a man from Ibista in the north, on board one of the cheats' boats, answered with a cock-crow that was still better. There was scarcely time or opportunity to look up, but a third cock crowed about a mile farther out, and goodness knows how many miles it may have spread. Here and there a dispute would arise between two boats whose nets had become entangled with one another. Larsha's hands were blistered with manipulating the heavy oar all day, but he did not notice it until the nets were put out again and they began to row back in the dark. There was a good seven miles to row against the current, and with a heavily laden boat, and the rowers would have to put their backs into it. Lars soon felt that the whole palm of his hand was covered with blisters, but he had to go on rowing the same as the others. All the fish would have to be cleaned before the men had supper and went to bed. It was of no use considering whether he was tired. They had fish now, and that was what they had come to Lofoten for. Lars felt that the blisters broke, and that the skin was rubbed up so that his woolen glove stuck to the raw flesh but they were a long way from land, and there was nothing to do but to row. The boat seemed to grow heavier and heavier, but they must pull with a will, for it was late and there was still much to be done. Behind them stretched the dark surface of the west fjord, crossed by a broad path of moonlight in which the water rose and fell in a long, slow swell. 
There was a sound of oars and boats in all directions. Far away in the darkness a Nulander began to sing, and Canelis Gumon, tired though he was, joined in while he plied his oar. On the shore side stood the Lofoten Wall, with its snowy peaks looking like silver in the moonlight, and below on the water beacon lights, and lights in fishing stations, every here and there for mile upon mile, shining through the still air. Lars felt that his gloves were damp with blood from the sores on his hands, and there was still a long way to row, and the current was against them. The harbour lights showed green and red in the distance, and a steamer passed them with a row of lighted portholes. For a moment Lars let go his hold of the oar, and it was like laying his bare hand upon red-hot iron, but a shout from his father made him grasp it again. It was anything but pleasant to go on rowing and rowing, and rubbing up the raw flesh, but for the moment the one important thing was to come ashore and set to work on the fish. There was already a great noise going on around the purchasing vessels in the bay, where the fish was being thrown on board, and the few crews that had finished their work and had come ashore had presumably drunk a dram or two, for there was singing and yelling on the islands in all directions. The Stotlanders always cleaned their fish before they sold it, removed the roe and liver, and cut off the head. The roe they salted in barrels to be sold when the price was sufficiently high in the spring, but they sent the liver home, for they earned more by making it into fish oil themselves. So the next thing to be done was to stand on the rocks through the greater part of the night, and by the light of a lantern clean fourteen or fifteen hundred cod before there could be any question of eating or sleeping. The weather was fine but cold. The knives were busily cutting open the fish, but the men could not have their gloves on, and their fingers, the backs of their hands, and their wrists became coated with blood and slime, which turned to ice. Arndt Olson had to be taught this too, and it took some time, and he was nearly crying over the numbness in his fingertips. It was quiet on the sea, and was growing quieter in the bay too, for the night was far advanced, but the Stotslanders still worked on at their fish. However long it took, they would have to finish it, at any rate by the time they had to put to sea again. Lars found the smarting of his hands become almost unbearable with the handling of the sea-salt fish, and he could have danced and howled with the pain, but this was not the time for childish whimpering. He was a Lofoten man now. The stooping position was trying, especially for men who were already weary, but their knives slashed away, liver in one tub, row in the other, and the rest of the intestines pitched into the sea and the fish thrown to one side. The moon was reflected in the sound, the snow creaked beneath the feet of a solitary night-wanderer, and the whole station slept, but the men went on silently preparing fish. It was not until the approach of morning that Christavr called to Lash, "'Go up and put the coffee-kettle on to boil, Lash.' The boy staggered away his head confused, his body bruised and aching, and his hands swollen and bleeding. He is in Lufoten now, and there are fish now. At last the lamp in the hut shone down upon the twelve men seated around the table with their cups of steaming coffee and pieces of bread which they scarcely gave themselves time to butter. 
their skin was chafed with the cold and the sea-water and their eyes were red with looking at the riches of the sea and with their greed for more but above all with toil when they had finished their meal lars staggered to his bunk and throwing himself upon it without removing his sea-boots fell asleep instantly it seemed to him only a minute later that he felt his father shaking him up with you we're going out again lars opened his eyes and stared was he not to be allowed to sleep a few minutes either come now said his father don't you see that the others have gone down to the boat already we can sleep when the fish have gone again here is a drop of coffee for you the boy drank it and seizing a piece of bread he stumbled along behind his father to start upon a new day at the oars it was only later that he found out that after all he had slept a few hours while the others were on board a trading vessel that was relieving the seal of fourteen hundred fish after this followed days in which the whole of lofoten lay in a fever the fine weather continued steamers passed hooting in and out of the harbour fish vessels sailed away loaded others came empty and proceeded to buy floating fish oil boileries cast anchor and wanted liver and every evening the fishing fleet returned heavily laden from the banks to the station fish fish this was going to be a golden year it was not until late at night that the sea became quiet there was not a wave upon the scarcely moving surface of the west fjord as it lay in the moonlight some blackbirds cormorants had settled on the most distant rock whence nothing was to be seen but the dark water and the shining moon and far in at the foot of the lofoten wall for mile after mile harbour lights and beacons the snowdrifts on the mountain glaciers gleamed white against the blue of heaven where the stars of the arctic night sparkled and the long milky streaks of the aurora glowed and paled when the grey dawn began to appear the cormorant took flight with a scream over the water answered a mile off by the loon not until later did the gulls rise and sail out with their first ah oo ah oo a fine day a fine day ah oo ah ah oo they ran chattering about the rocks where flocks of white-breasted auks and ducks were diving into the water and rocking on the waves morn 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 they cried at last it was light enough for a flag to be hoisted on the station and as it ran up an avalanche of boats and shouts was let loose over the smooth grey water the shoals of fish had now come almost into land women and children rowed out a few boat lengths from the rocks and fished for cod in a little boat lying to the north of the bay sat barbara the fortune-teller wrapped up in her woollen shawls hauling in cod on a line and with her was moses the jew in his brown overcoat with his curly black locks and large hooked nose pulling up the splendid big fish one after another what will man do mit ze cod why eat it or else sell it why not do a little business he cannot sell watches on shore when every one is on the banks he was a lofoten man now and barbara and he were going shares in the fishing 
at a little distance there was another little boat containing a missionary and a woman of disreputable character whom he was trying to reform they were both fishing busily the priest and the doctor were out fishing and the shop assistants had got hold of a cockle shell and a line with a hook at the end of it the cod would bite even if there was nothing more than a reel upon the hook the days passed and sunday came at last End of chapter 13